Hi everyone, welcome to the December 1st, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. A lot has <laughs> happened since our last taping before Thanksgiving, so let's get to it. Let's get a quick take on the most recent series of Denver Post layoffs. Seven positions ranging from digital producer to ad design were affected, and longtime managing editor Linda Shapley announced her resignation. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, you have run a newspaper westward for a long time. How long can a daily newspaper like the Denver Post last when all we're hearing is layoffs like this over and over and over again, like the one we heard this week? In a city like Denver, it could probably last a very long time if its hedge fund owners weren't trying to wring every possible drop of profit out of the paper. Dean Singleton has said that they are making money, they just want to make more money. So this last round of layoffs is particularly shameful because the digital area has been growing. They got rid of a lot of advertising people and are outsourcing ads to India. So let's all be very careful to watch if they can keep 13th <coughs> Avenue and 13th uh, Street straight in those ads. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, personally, this is demoralizing to see this, but I guess is is there even a a hedge fund strategy that this is maybe prepping for a sale by by trimming more expenses? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel for the folks who actually want to see a daily newspaper in Colorado? The hedge fund thinks so, obviously, which is why they're doing this. I think it's it's counterproductive. Besides ruining the product, they also have a separate program to annoy as many customers as possible. So they do this thing where if you sign up for a subscription, it's like, oh, I'm getting a one-year subscription to the Post, they're going to then sell you these without your consent, or it's in the very fine print since newspaper readers these days are on the older side, uh, illegible to them. Uh, special issues like the th most recently, the Thanksgiving special issue. What makes this so special that makes it a $4 thing? Oh, it has all the Black Friday ads. So they'll then charge you $4 for that special issue and shorten your subscription automatically. And since they already have your credit card information on file, they also say, by the way, we're always going to, we are always going to automatically renew you unless you stop us. So they're trying to bring the sleaze uh, to the readers in the most personal way possible to say, well, one reason you shouldn't trust the content of the paper is because the owners and their business dealings with you are underhanded sleazeballs. You know, as, as a uh, subscriber to the actual newspaper, me and the, I think eight more other people in Colorado, I think I'm almost offended by the fact you said it would be illegible fine print, but admittedly I read it with my readers, so I'm going I'm to let that pass. Eric Sonderman, political analyst, I, I guess try, I, I'm always the type of person that's looking for a bright side here. Is this at least going to buoy the efforts of uh, folks like uh, ColoradoPolitics.com, the Colorado Independent, other I guess, uh, uh, digital-based but growing entities that are trying to do more about journalism in Colorado. Well, I think not only do you have your readers, Dominic, but apparently you have some meds if you're seeing a bright side in this one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I see a, a lot of bright sides. I, Echo Patty, she nailed it. David nailed it as well. 
uh, I don't know what is sadder, the, the sudden demise of the Rocky Mountain News or the slow, lingering death uh, or at least demise of the Denver Post. Um, hats off to the people who work there, the content that they still try to create, but there is not a ton of content. I mean, this is a very thin paper these days. And it's a paper that strikes me as they go out of their way, and I'm sure this is a strategy. It's not coming from the people in that newsroom, but from the hedge fund people and some probably high-paid consultants that they're using to hide their content. I mean, the, the website is unnavigable these days. With uh, I mean, everyone has pop-up ads, but these are out of control. The, the website is a complete shambles, and even uh, I no longer subscribe to the print edition, but some called the digital replica edition, where I see the print edition. I just see it on my... Uh, laptop or my iPad and I mean the amount of ads you have to flip through or page through to get to any content uh, boggles my mind. Rapid, uh, rounding out the panel, Penfield Tate, longtime state lawmaker and attorney with QTAC Rock. Uh, what do you make of this? What are we seeing? Are Denverites taking for granted that we will always have a daily newspaper in this town? Uh, no, Denverites aren't taking it for granted. They are being taken for granted by okay. the Denver Post. Um, and, and to Eric's point, I think I would rather see the sudden demise than this lingering death. A we knew that there were going to be more layoffs. That was inevitable. But the ham-handed way in which they appear to be happening, and people are being told you're laid off, and then five minutes later, no, actually, you can stay because so-and-so took the offer, so you hang around for another two or three weeks, and then we may lay you off later. Uh, at, at some point, the Post has to decide whether it wants to exist as a newspaper or not. And I think it is on the cusp. And, and actually, there are nine of us who still get print editions because I still get my print edition on Friday and Saturday because I like to sit there and read a newspaper. Um, but it's getting tougher. Um, by the time I throw out all the ads and the circulars that I don't read, or as my daughter says, let's look for stuff we don't need um, and throw that away, there's, the newspaper is only about this big anymore. Uh, and, and it's pretty sad. And so it's time to fish or cut bait. Ink Coffee came under fire last week after photos of a sign making light of gentrification outside its Five Points location went viral. Despite public apologies from both Ink founder Keith Herbert and its ad agency Cultivator, community members gathered in front of the shop demanding answers. Denver City Council President Albus Brooks also received backlash for supporting developers over legacy residents. Patty, the, the sign was offensive. They deserved criticism over the sign. But it felt like this protest was about much more than a sign. It was about everything else that's happening in the neighborhood, uh, whether it's huge apartment buildings being built that with rental rates that uh, I know uh, are going to be out, uh, just absolutely outlandish. Uh, what did you make of what we saw go down about this protest? that it was definitely a slow Thanksgiving week because if you saw it, it made The Guardian in London, made The New York Times, made The Washington Post, not normally a story they would pick up. But that it took off here wasn't surprising. Where we are in the studio is really the heart of Five Points, which was a real residential area, which has an incredible history. And you see what's happening on this street with these buildings going up that are not friendly to the street. You've lost the history. And this was truly a residential area where many people have been priced out. They're just gone. Nine blocks away from here is where that ink is located. And interestingly, that wasn't really a very residential area. That was always warehouses. Artists had moved in over the last 10, 15, 20 years. They're the ones who've been booted out. So what you really heard more than anything else, besides the fact that people sometimes had their history crossed, is 
people are upset with these monolithic apartment buildings that are coming in. The city is letting them come in. We're getting no amenities to go with them. We're getting high-priced apartments that no one can afford unless probably they're coming in from out of state with a big salary, too. I mean, huge rates for those apartments. It was the most tone-deaf ad in history. It was like an onion ad. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what would have happened if Inc. had put it outside its Bonnie Bray uh, location, <laughs> where the biggest controversy is over the fact that they keep taking the campus, they won't let the campus lounge patrons park there. I mean, Bonnie Bray has been gentrifying since I think it was founded. Um, so it was really fascinating because people are mad, not just at the builders, but at the mayor and at city council that haven't, they aren't asking for anything, apparently, when these projects go in. They're not asking for storefronts. They're not asking for affordable spaces. They're not asking for parking. And so this area that had been one of the most creative, really interesting place where entrepreneurs, artists, that's, those are the people who've been priced out of that particular block, that particular area. Here in Five Points, the real heart of Five Points, it's much worse. David, now that we're into another news cycle, it seems that the attention, at least to the, the coffee shop itself, is going away. But the attention toward city officials seems to at least maybe not be growing, but sustainable. Do you think city officials are going to feel a little more heat from this that now that people can be focused on anger? Well, I, I hope so. And, and it's really false consciousness for them to, whoever the criminal was who vandalized the coffee shop. And for the rest of the people in, in that crowd with Albus Brooks protesting, that's like going to an anti-Baldus protest uh, led by John Caldera. You know, he's, he's more the cause of the problem uh, than the solution. The city has been not only is, when a city is prospering, there's going to be inevitable gentrification and prices are, are going to go up because there's only so much land. The Denver City Council and mayor, and certainly including Councilman Albus Brooks, have, besides that natural thing going on, have accelerated it substantially with all their corporate welfare giveaways, which were are illegal if the Colorado Constitution were actually enforced by the courts. All these big giveaways to big business, you know, it's not Inc. Coffee uh, that, that's getting the corporate welfare or any other small businesses. It, it, it's the giants in these huge projects. So we now have a situation where the neglect of the fundamental things the Denver governor should do, like repairing sidewalks, they blow that off. And so people have to set up special districts to tax themselves extra just to have functioning sidewalks. Denver's sidewalk backlog is so bad it would take the entire city budget next year just to repair the sidewalks in the city. And instead of doing things that are normal for the government, that money that should go into daily infrastructure, they throw it, all these big projects and the big businesses. And if you think Alpus Brooks is your leader in fighting this, you're, you've been spun 180 degrees around from where you should be trying to pin the tail on the donkey. Eric, I saw a commentary, for, a commentary from Kyle Clark that was, uh, I think, magnificent. He, he really encapsulated that, yes, this was an, an offensive sign, but uh, developers, city officials, a lot of people get away with celebrating gentrification just by calling it a different name. And it was a lot like some of the things that you were saying on social media, which I thought were uh, equally brilliant about saying there's, there's much more here than what we're recognizing. Do you think the folks that are mad about this sign uh, are going to have an anger that's going to grow because of those very same issues that it's, this has been called a different name and celebrated different ways, but causing similar problems? Yeah, I mean... It, it, 
this is a new issue we're talking about in terms of the word gentrification. I don't know that we've used that a ton of times around this table, but what we've talked about around this table is part and parcel of the same thing, congestion, growth, uh, lack of distinction of architecture, to put it politely. I mean, just a lot of cookie-cutter apartment buildings, et cetera. And you bet that is a volatile political issue. It's a volatile uh, political mix. I think the ink thing became a flashpoint, and flashpoints, by the very word flash, they ignite and they have uh, long-lasting uh, uh, political repercussions. I think we can stipulate, I mean, they, this ad agency, I have no familiar, familiarity with the ad agency, they thought they were being clever, they thought they were being cute. Lots of humor falls flat, this one fell exceptionally flat, and I assume there were a few tough conversations with that ad agency over the last few days, and, and uh, uh, fine with me. It's the pace of what is going on in Denver and the scope of it that I think is what has really gotten people riled up. But I do have a somewhat contrary view, which is everything has to have an appropriate pace, and Denver is on fire right now. But the only thing worse probably than gentrification is the lack of gentrification in the sense of if you show me a community that isn't growing, isn't renewing. Stagnant communities are not fun places to be. My wife and I recently did a driving trip through the back roads of Appalachia, covered a couple thousand miles, and you go to a lot of those communities, and they would die for a little bit of gentrification, because one person's gentrification, quote unquote, is another person's renewal, and these are communities that are not renewing. That is not in any way to defend a lot of the undistinguished stuff that is going on in this town and, and not that far from where we're sitting right now. But I do think you need a little bit of perspective to it. Um, and it's not that everything old is good and everything new is bad and that all growth is bad. You need communities to move forward. Penn, you look at this, what, what's the right perspective that we should be having as a community moving forward beyond, uh, we, we can look at the sign, but it's, it's far bigger than this. What, what do we need to take away from this as we're moving forward? You know, it is far bigger, and I think we need to take a step back, and, and I go to Patty's original point. I, I don't think the reason why this story played nationally and internationally is because it was a slow week. Um, this situation highlights an issue in Denver, in Colorado, and nationally. It is a sense of people feeling dislocated intentionally, a sense of anime where you don't know what the norms, what to expect, where your place is, and what appears to be a callous indifference to that situation. The, the, I'm sure the people who did the ad for Inc. thought it was something clever, something trendy, something catchy, but what it really indicates is we're here and the place is better because we're here and we're getting rid of you. It's a better neighborhood without you. It's a better community without you. We've done things and made it good. You're bad. Get out. You don't belong here anymore. And I think the backlash that Albus is catching and the mayor and the administration, we have talked about this symptom before that with with the city and the state being on fire and all of this development that what appears to be happening or at least what people are articulating is a sense that all of these things are happening but they're not happening for me or with me they're happening to me I'm being victimized by this success and I'm not getting anything out of it and now you have the audacity to tell me to be happy about it because it's a good thing it's not good for me because it's happening 
to me. And so at some point, the city government in particular needs to figure out how they reconnect with communities and people. Because, yeah, you, you can be on fire and then everybody's going to be gone. There's a reason why places that aren't growing and that have become stagnant became that way. It's because <laughs> they drove the people out who made the community a vital place. Because communities are based on people. They're not based on buildings and stuff. And if you lose the people, you lose the core, you lose the soul of your community, and you're going to be depressed again before you know it. With continued reports of sexual misconduct and inappropriate behavior dominating the headlines again this week, Colorado lawmakers are working on getting their ducks in a row. A meeting is set for December 15th to review workplace harassment policies and training for legislators and staff. Meanwhile, according to ColoradoPolitics.com, the Legislative Council's Executive Committee plans to bring in an independent consultant to review the current policies and make recommendations. David, are you confident that the legislature can find a way to monitor itself in these kinds of issues? Well, we'll, we'll let's see what happens. Um, I think having an independent consultant is, is good. That It's always a good idea to have, have somebody with, with a fresh perspective who's, who's not stuck in sort of the institutional lens on things. Um, you know, in terms of the, the Colorado accusations, all people, as, as a matter of human, human rights, and especially all Americans, are, are entitled to, to due process. And the legislature has a process for expelling members if they choose, for doing investigations leading up to that. And that process can, can go forward. Um, you know, likewise, college students uh, are entitled to due process before they're expelled or suspended and you know it, it doesn't matter who the accused is whether the accused is in a category of people you like or in a category of people you don't like that's a universal right and it's also having been a prosecutor it's also just a matter of common sense that when people make an accusation some often those accusations are true but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they, they really are just different perceptions. And sometimes pe accusations are, are made up maliciously uh, for, for all kinds of different reasons. And there is no group in the world that is exempt from the uh, vice of making up false accusations. And that includes people of every racial category, people of every occupational category, and people of all sexes and genders and sexual orientations. So somebody who says, I always believe a woman accuser is uh, the equivalent of living in a flat earth world. Many women accusers tell the truth, some don't. Eric, uh, this whole idea of uh, going to consultants, creating these different policies, seems like a bipartisan idea. There's not a whole lot of arguments against that. But nothing is ever that simple under the Golden Dome. What do you think is going to happen once we get into January? I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. Hire a consultant, do some trainings, do some workshops, come up with new policies, come up with a new manual. All of that is good. But all of that in and of itself isn't going to do the trick. This is not a policy problem. It is a cultural problem, and it's not limited to the Colorado Capitol, but maybe the Colorado Capitol has been a little bit of a hotbed of it, and uh, I think those of us who have done time under that dome historically sort of understand some of that phenomenon. Uh, but ultimately, this, there's a, speaking of flashpoints, which is a phrase I used to the earlier answer, obviously this is an incredible flashpoint in our society, our country at large. And that is going to change attitudes. It is going to change awareness. I am struck by the distinction or the difference 
between how the private sector is handling this and obviously how it gets handled in the political sector. Private sector, you know, Matt Lauer, news report, gone. Many other situations, news report, Charlie Rose, news report, gone, etc. In the political sector, I mean, you know, Roy Moore is still and now leading in the polls again uh, in Alabama. Steve Lipsock, and he's entitled, per David's point, to stay and fight here in Colorado, but the charges look pretty substantial and pretty credible, and it's not going to have a happy ending uh, for Mr. Lebsock uh, by, by, by all indications. That's his right to stay and fight, but um, I, I would just wrap it up. I think in the political world, voters ultimately have to be the HR department, and voters are ultimately going to be the ones that are heard from and probably kick some of these people to the curb that are not otherwise opting to, to jump on the curb. Penn, you're a former lawmaker. Um, what do you feel about, A, what's going on, and B, how, at least what we're hearing, how they're going to handle it? I like the idea of bringing in an outside consultant. It can't hurt. Um, these are policies that probably haven't been looked at for years, and, and so scrubbing them and getting a fresh take is probably the right thing to do. Um, I, I disagree with Eric a little bit. I don't think this is just part of the legislative culture. I think this issue we're dealing with is part of it's a societal issue. That's why you're seeing it in the private sector and the public sector. The private sector can deal with it differently. If somebody misbehaves on the job, you fire them. Um, it's a little bit different when someone's been elected into an office and allegations been made. It's something theoretically they've earned, and you can't summarily take that from them because, you know, they're, they're in a representative capacity. I don't know if I'd necessarily want you yanking my state representative or state senator based on an allegation if it hadn't been founded yet or have we hadn't gone through some sort of process. So the, the, the process is important um, and, and we need to go through that. But I, I think this is going to just make it a very, very interesting time for the 2018 legislative session because, you know, a legislative body is a body of people and part of it is personal relationships and how you deal with one another. And I think it's going to be a very stilted session where people are going to be dealing with each other in a very stiff and frozen kind of way. And it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts communication and ability to get things done. It was already tough enough rolling into an election year, but, but this may just be the icing on the cake. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, I'm going to volunteer to be the independent consultant because here we are at this table, the only TV table in the entire country where I don't think a man has been booted for bad behavior. <laughs> so I think I'm qualified to go to the legislature and just say, cut it out. This has been going on not just in politics, not just in private business, but in all culture for, oh, generations, I mean, forever. But by 2017, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, we are all in trouble. Don't touch, don't ask, uh, don't act untowardly, be fair, be honest, don't play the power trip. I mean, just behave. We know what it means to behave now. Let's get to our very, very part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, we are part of this disgrace, too. Um, Denver International Airport announced a challenge for new voices of the train, the train, of course, which stopped or was going very, very slowly, is what DIA says, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. 
Among uh, the other provinces, we've discovered that Alan Roach, who they were going to replace as one of the voices of the trains, because he's now the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, actually still lives here in Denver. So he is fighting to remain the voice of the train. I would get behind that effort, which means all of you who tried out here two weeks ago will not be eligible to be the voice of the train. But You're I can still, still go for Adele Arakawa, and at the same time, I can give sex harassment lectures on the train. So we need some new vo- uh, we need some new messages for that train. We can still. Work work on it, maybe the same ones that we're going to give to the legislature. My vote is still for Patty Calhoun. I think that'll be great. <laughs> David, your disgrace of the week. Puerto Rico now has 66% power uh, uh, for the people, 93% uh, running water, and 73% of the cell sites are functioning, which is a, a big step from how it was a month ago. But for a hurricane that was over 71 days ago, it's uh, an improperly slow recovery for which there's a great deal of blame at many levels to go around. Eric. I think our president could uh, win this honor most weeks, but particularly this week. I mean, there was an incredibly disturbing quality to his performance this week to take a ceremony of honoring Native Americans and use it to fling his slur at Elizabeth Warren. And longtime viewers of the show will know that I hold Elizabeth Warren plenty culpable for phoning up a minority credential. But there's a time and a place for everything. And then retweeting some bizarre largely discredited videos uh, from Great Britain and uh, endangering that relationship with probably our longest ally. Not to mention when we're talking about sexual harassment, he's now questioning or denying that maybe that was his voice on the Access Hollywood tape and, you know, he's the one sitting in the Oval Office. Penn. Michael Flynn, I can't remember the last time our national security advisor pled guilty to lying about national security his involvement with with another foreign nation it's just it's unfathomable what's happening in this white house gets worse and worse and sicker and sicker by the day time to see something nice patty well when we're talking about changing denver the wazi separate club long time a fixture in Lower Downtown before it was even called Lodo. It's going to change hands and close and become a French restaurant. And everyone remembers the chapter from the last 40 years. But the most interesting thing to me is the in fact that your grandfather yep. founded it, mm-hmm. and it's a lost chapter of history from 50 years ago. That's right. My father, my grandfather, Albert Rotola, and uh, his business partner, James Capalupo, they were the ones that changed it from a plumbing warehouse to the Wazi Supper Club, and then they sold it to uh, the folks who owned My Brother's Bar in 1974. It is uh, a lost chapter. We'll hope to actually bring it up a little bit more often. Uh, maybe we'll do that maybe for a postgame. Check out Car Inside Postgame. We'll talk more about that. David. Thanks for your family's early work on gentrification. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was before the viaduct was there. <laughs> we embraced the community yeah. there, David. Go ahead. Denver University and University of Colorado women's volleyball teams both made the NCAA here, here. tournament, which begins this uh, tonight. Eric. We're talking about this sad chapter for the Denver Post. How about the Washington Post in terms of the way they busted uh, Project Veritas and James O'Keefe that was trying to set them up to discredit them, and they turned the tables? That was very vigilant and, and, and good journalism. Penn. Yeah, kudos to the Washington Post, and it shows you, Denver Post, that you can actually be a responsible and effective newspaper in your community. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter for our CIO segments, both past and present. You can also find our podcast, It Is Back, on iTunes and Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night.